Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode five of season six of This Spiritual Fix. Today, we are doing an impromptu money wound four, where we will present even more innovative ways to heal your money wound, including finding your ideal money universe. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> Hi, Christina. <laughs> Hi. Uh, I'm doing good. It's so funny. It got really cold here. Which is really annoying because it's only the first of November and it's Southern Georgia. Like it should not be getting cold. And so yesterday we like frantically like de like got everything ready to freeze and like got ready to like lose almost everything that we couldn't protect because we don't even have leaves down here. Like one of the main ways that you protect stuff from like really freak freezes like this is you cover them with leaves, but like most of the trees still have most of their leaves and most of them are green. So we're like really in a not a great position, but it was funny because my kids are just so cute. They they went out with their dad and they're building a little house out of sticks and clay. And they're going to like do like a full cabin down at this really cool place in the property. And they finally did it. But it's funny because they started on like a super cold day. You can't really do it in the summer, but it's really sweet. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. That's really adorable. Uh-huh. And you? Very cool. Well, we just had a great trick-or-treating. We have the best neighborhood, uh, the best. I love our neighborhood. We all get together, have a block party, and then we kind of break the children up into chunks and just go trick-or-treating. It's great. It's just fun. I just love my neighbors. They're 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 my village, and I could not survive without them. That is so wonderful. And I remember I went, my kids went trick-or-treating on your street once, which was fun other than the fact that it was so fucking cold. I don't know if you remember how cold it was. I feel like people couldn't feel themselves. It gets cold. It does get really cold for some reason. So, but, um, I was asking Archangel Michael, what should we talk about? What should we talk about? And he told me that we're going to talk about this one topic that's really weird. It might be a trigger warning for people, but he 
this is what I was guided to talk about. I am excited to hear this. I don't know what this is. (laughs) So the topic we're talking about today is non-suicidal self-harm. Have you heard of this? (laughs) No. Well, you probably have. It's cutting, burning, mutilating oneself, but without the intention to commit suicide. And so I wanted to just talk about that and talk about the relationship of self-harm to stress and suicide. So if this is a trigger warning, you're going to probably want to fast forward ahead about five minutes. But first, on the request of Archangel Michael, we're going to talk about Van Gogh's ear. Okay. I'm so fascinated. Like, I, you have me hooked. Like, <laughs> go for it. Okay. So the first thing about Van Gogh's ear is we all heard of the artist who was in and out of insane asylums and he cut off his ear and the question became how much of it did he cut off and what did he do with the ear so um did you know christina that he cut off the entire ear i think i've seen a picture of that but i did uh, in my head it was just a portion of it but then again i could have been equating that with evander holyfield who Mike Tyson bit off a chunk of his ear and God. Yeah. No, I didn't know if it was, I didn't know it was the whole ear. No. It was the whole ear only leaving like a very small slice. And then he took it to a brothel. And for a long time, it was speculated that he gave it to a prostitute, but he didn't give it to a prostitute. They figured out that the woman who worked there that he gave it to was their cleaner, their housekeeper. And she was working in the brothel to pay off a debt because of rabies. And so she was paying off her own medical debt. That's why she was working there. Like, did you know any of that? I don't know why he wants me to talk about this. I did not know about that. (laughs) Okay. What's the take? What's the What's the takeaway? I mean, like, what's the thing to learn, right? In terms of- About Van Gogh? About non-suicidal self-harm. Is it for a one, is it for one listener? Is it for more than one listener? No, there's apparently one listener out there who needs to hear this. So just say that- Just one person? Yeah, it looks like just one person like really needs to hear this right now. So like one listener who's having trouble with like the dissonance of thinking that they are suicidal because they are self-harming, but that they actually aren't. And I don't know how it relates to Van Gogh, but- They're saying in these studies that there is a relationship between people who want to commit suicide and self-harm, but it's not always the case. Sometimes people just self-harm to alleviate stress and distract them from other pain. And it says that women are more likely than men to do it. And that it's more common in the younger generation than older. And they don't know why that is. Maybe it's like, something that's cooler, cooler in quotes, or be, or maybe people are getting more stressed out. I don't really know. What I want to say about the self-harm is that everybody self-harms and you have different aspects of your body, physical, emotional, sexual, intellectual, financial, relationship-wise, romantic, spiritual, whatever, the way you exercise or don't exercise, all these things like There's so many different avenues in which we self-harm. And sometimes when you have people who overeat and undereat and burn themselves and cut themselves, it's like their physical body is being self-harmed and it's really obvious, but we're all doing it 
We're just doing it in different ways. So I want us all to just be cognizant of the fact that we all self-harm. Yeah. Okay. So this, I know why he wants to bring this up because this relates directly to inner villainy, right? Because the concept, at least that's what it feels like because so much of what I've been doing, I'm getting ready for this cohort, which is going to be at the end of November in 2023. And it, it, That to me is what it strikes me as, is that inner villainy is effectively a form of self-harm. It's like you are self-harming in that respect. So that's the thing that strikes me is that, is that like, to your point, self-harm can show up on the physical, but it can also show up in all these other different ways. And we need to recognize the fact how we are abusing ourselves, whether we're in an inner drama triangle or something like that. Does that seem like it resonates? Yeah. Yeah, it actually segues well into what I um, am going to say for this impromptu money wound four, uh, unless Anna, you want to add anything else before I go? No, no, go ahead. All right. So if y'all kind of heard, if, if, if you listen to the money wound, the series that ran from the end of last season, and then it into the beginning of this season, you know that Anna's been in process with this course and with everything for a number of months. So I went a little bit like rogue because I was like really eager to have the information. And so I kind of just like started to create my own, like, I don't know what to do. And so like, I've been slowly kind of gathering this information. And so I kind of wanted to offer this as a supplement to what Anna's been saying. And it also means that we will also still be doing a Money Wound 5 now at the end of the season, because that was how we ended Money Wound 3 was that we said we were going to put into practice all of these different things. But so much of this has been coming up for me the last week. I wanted to share it with y'all because it felt like a, a good supplement of something that is like, very tangible too. Like it's, it's, it's just a supplement practice that we can do. And it's the teachings that I had, and I wanted to share it with y'all. So the process that I've kind of come up with for this, because I really love to come up with processes and steps, even though Anna's the one who actually makes me write them down and like makes me be very clear about them is a process of kind of understanding three different things. And I'll give you guys context for all these different things, but I wanted to start off with a summary of what this practice feels like. The first is to locate your wounding, okay? And so this could be a primal wound or a mother wound or a father wound. The reason I say inner villainy and the reason that it relates so well to what Anna was saying at the beginning is that the villains, there are nine villains, right? And the villains cover the five primal wounds plus the mother and father wound. And then the three extra ones are the separation wound and the consciousness wound. Right. So we have we have like these extra wounds that kind of I would almost say sit at higher wounds. They sit in the head chakras. And so when I do the villain episode, you guys will hear more about those wounds and kind of how they relate to it. And so that's that's kind of why I'm saying uh, you can take the quiz. We have an uh, inner villain quiz that I have set up on my website and we can link it in the show notes so that you can figure out which one you are in there. But to Anna's point. The wounding that we experience can be self-harm in the form of something as, you know, root chakra-esque as humiliation, right? In whatever form, all the way up to very, very esoteric and like just choosing to not participate in life because you don't actually recognize your creative force, right? So kind of like the whole, whole spectrum of how that looks. So for me, locating the money wound in my body has been a really, really important aspect and mindsets and betrayal. And I'll say, I'll say more about that later. The second step is to locate your detractors. 
Okay. So the opposite of attractor is an expander. And if you've done manifestation work, you will have heard of the concept of an expander, which is like somebody who's doing the thing that you want to do and is successful at it. A detractor is the opposite. They are somebody who is doing what you want to do, but they are unsuccessful at it. Or there is some aspect of it that is not who you want to be. And I'll explain that more later. So first, find your wounding. Second, locate your detractors. And the third one is to locate your universe. Figure out what universe you're in. And I'm going to, there's this amazing channeling that Anna sent around earlier from aliens that like will give context for the different universes. And so by locating these three things, you then work to play and process them out. And I cannot tell you, I think my, my tally is now up to $7,500 that I've found in the last three days. That is nuts. Yeah. Doing this work. Yes. From doing this work. Okay. Keep going. (laughs) So, okay. So the first step is to locate the wounding in your body of where your money wound sits. And I think that there is going to be a variety of where people experience this. And I, you know, as, as this is, this is something that'll probably happen in, in mother wound five, we can follow up with this as well as like kind of the variety of what this looks like, but I'm going to describe how this, the, how this appears as the betrayal wound. Okay, guys. So I'm going to take you back to Christina as a 13 year old girl. And so I realized this like three days ago and it literally changed my life. And yet it is like the most simple thing ever. I had always had this understanding of the fact that I was afraid that money would make me corrupt. Okay. For the longest time, I was just like, oh my God, if I get money, I'm going to be corrupt. It was like always the thought in the back of my head. And I was like, oh my God, that must be past life. And I swear I did so many past life things to try and deal with it. I was like, I was trying all over the place to understand why money and corruption were linked hand in hand with me. And it wasn't until three days ago, and I think it was a result of a dream, that I started to recognize that very simply, this connection between money and corruption was actually directly in this life. And it was just something that I wasn't acknowledging of something, a way in which I had self-harmed and something that I did not want to admit. So 13-year-old Christina... She has been in a very difficult, very tumultuous, borderline abusive relationship with a with a girlfriend of my dad's. And on and on, on again, off again, like just absolute blowout. I would I would say meltdown arguments. This is all in the wake of having lost my mother at six and then between the ages of six and 13, just these absolute knockout, terrible fights for the longest time. And it came down to it that my dad, when I was 13, he had finally come to the place where he had decided that he wanted to, he wanted to marry the woman that had had these massive fights with me for years and years and years. And he said to me, he said, you know, uh, with the context of the fact that like, for years and years and years, this entire time, I had just been like, I cannot, you know, this, this is, if they were to end up getting married, how terrible would that be? Like for years and years and years, just like me being like, oh my God, this would be like the end of my life. 
if they ended up getting married, you know, as we do as kids, those kind of like very, very uh, hyperbolic statements that we have. But it was actually true. And he says, I'm going to marry this person. And as a result, y'all are going to get a new house, a bigger house. And I was like, oh, can we get a pool? And, you know, basically there was a conversation that was framed as permission. Like, is it okay if I marry this person? And then very shortly after it was, and as a result of this, like, we're going to move and we're going to get a bigger house and it's going to be really nice. And like, we're going to have more money because we didn't have a lot of money prior to that point, because my dad was a single dad and my mom was a actress. And, you know, we'd always kind of been, been not necessarily well to do. And so in that moment, was like the ultimate self-betrayal that I did because I was like, a pool? Oh my God, isn't that amazing? I can get a pool. Like, I, oh my God. Completely betrayed every younger part of me at that moment because I felt that getting a pool was worth anything. <laughs> this was a... This is, <laughs> It's so fucking ridiculous. And yet I totally get it. And I actually see it in my own kids sometimes too, is that like the desire to have something is just so great that like you're, you're willing to, to kind of put up with anything in order to get something. At least you think you are the same dynamic. My grandmother did not like me at all. She was really, really nasty to me. And my dad at one point said, you don't have to go down there anymore. And I was like, okay, so I can either stay at home by myself with nothing to do, or I could go be with an abusive person who's going to buy me a stuffed animal. I was like, I want the stuffed animal, right? Uh, so I kind of discovered in this moment that I had self-betrayed in such a massive way in that moment because I had completely betrayed all of my younger self because all I cared about was a pool. And all I cared about was was the money that we would get and that we would then start to have. And I was willing to take, put up with anything. And after that started a continuation of that self-betrayal, right? To the point where I recognized that if I acted and behaved in a certain way, no matter how harmful the relationship was, then I would get what I wanted or I would get clothes or I would get shopping sprees or I would get gifts. Like, like basically my feelings and my sense of self and my sense of self-worth were worth any, like I, I would sell them for anything. And that was where this betrayal wound really started for me, right? Was this idea that ultimately money and corruption equaled each other, which is one of the reasons why now I absolutely have had for years had this problem with becoming successful because I thought that it would lead to corruption. Again, thinking it was a past life thing. So that is an example of, of how even, even if you're doing this for a living, you're helping other people see stuff, you know, you're trying, you know, you, you examine your, your life with a fine tooth comb in order to be able to do stuff. You've done the fucking primal wounds. How many times now have we done the primal wounds? Like we're in our fourth time now that, you know, you can just, when something is ready to come up, it's ready to come up. And so locating that wound was incredibly important. And when I come to the end, when I'm talking about like healing this, I'll, I'll tell Miller about that. The next is this concept of detractors. So the context of detractors, expanders is a concept from Lacey Phillips in 2bmagnetic.com. She's like a very 
famous in this new age space for or new, now age space for talking about manifestation. And she has a formula for manifestation. And one of the main things that she talks about is having an expander. An example of expander would be if you are a podcast host, your expander may be Krista Tippett or your expander may be, you know, somebody else who's a very famous podcaster who's able to podcast a lot, like be able to interview a lot of very famous people, right? And then ideally, not only do you align with that goal, but also like them as a whole, you're just like, this is great. I want to expand with this person. Like I really want to be this person, right? So we do it all the time. We find mentors and we find people, but it's really important as we're in a place, if we're entrepreneurs or in a place of like really trying to goal set to find somebody else who has something similar to that goal and to set them as an expander. Now, the concept of detractor is something that I am introducing because I have noticed this over and over again. And I want to give you guys the example of my mentor and friend who recently passed this year um, by the name of Carol. I lived with her for many years uh, and I built a house on her property and was a part of the Church of the Earth Nation and things along those lines for a very long time. And it was really fascinating to me because, you know, Luke and I, my husband and I lived there for five years and Carol, she was, she was looked up to by so many people, like so many people really much looked up, looked up to her as a spiritual mentor and someone who was like really, you know, aspirational and was like, you know, she was a channel and a medium and all these different things. And she taught me, she taught me a lot of stuff when I lived there, right? I lived there for five years and I was kind of, I almost consider it an apprenticeship of sorts. I learned feng shui from her. I learned all sorts of stuff. And it was fascinating though, because for me, living with her was extremely different than being a student from her. Because when I lived with her, I experienced what I called the betrayal wound of that area. Like the, the amount of control that was put onto our lives made it almost impossible for us to be able to do anything. And, you know, as much as there was like this, oh, everything's wonderful and beautiful. There was kind of this like positivity that came from anybody who was on the outside looking in. Once you were inside, you could really feel like the claws of betrayal and the claws of like control that made it so that, you know, at one point, this is like my boohoo story, but you know, like at one point, you know, I was like eight months pregnant and, or maybe not eight months pregnant. I was probably like six months pregnant and we, you know, and I had a, you know, two, like a one-year-old, maybe like a 20-month-year-old, and I was having to carry her and my pregnant self up and down like this massive 500-foot hill with groceries, like with this wagon, and this wagon would be like, and, you know, like it would be super, super heavy because I was trying to get everything in one trip because otherwise I'd have to take my daughter. I couldn't like leave her in the house by herself, so I'd have to like try and load up this wagon. It'd be like a hundred pounds and it'd be like pushing me down the hill. And I was like six months pregnant and, you know, carrying this two-year-old. And it was just like, because she wouldn't let us have a driveway. And then as soon as we left, she put in a driveway, things like that. Right. So there was like, there was a lot of betrayal that sat around the situation, which is probably should have been my first indicator. But the thing that I'm talking about, particularly with detractors is that Carol was the first person I knew who had ever made the decision to like uh, that I knew very well who had made the decision to become an energy healer, which was interesting because, you know, 
every single energy healer that I had met had contributed to this idea of the poor energy healer, right? Like literally, I don't think I met an energy healer to date to that point, except for one probably very famous psychic who was well-to-do, who like had money, who was successful, who wasn't talking about money almost inappropriately in sessions, you know, things along those lines. Like the kind of poor energy healer was like what I knew and, or the, and then when I met Carol, like she was kind of the essence of that, right? Because in a lot of ways she wasn't poor, but she didn't have community. Community kept falling all around her. So she didn't have wealth in the way that she wanted to. She had land and she had people who would come and visit her, but she didn't have anybody who was very, you know, very close because anyone who got close usually ended up moving away in a couple of years. And I say this with this understanding of the fact that like, at this point now, having people having processed her death, like I'm actually not alone in this understanding. But to me, when I imagine myself as a healer and as an intuitive psychic healer doing what I do now, all I could think of was becoming Carol. And I could not get away from that image of it. Like I literally was just stuck. I was stuck with the image of just like, I couldn't think of anything else besides it. And it was so fascinating because when I went back for her debt, like at, for her funeral, for her, you know, service, the whole place was falling apart. Like the house that I built was falling apart. Like everything, like I, I went to take a shower and it was just like, there is no, I, it was like, I finally had the veil lifted. Like I had been gone for long enough and I had come to terms enough with kind of my experience of, you know, Carol to recognize that actually my aspiration was not to become Carol because for years, that's what it had been. I'd see her meditating on her back porch and I was like, oh my God, I want that life. I want to just not have to work and just be able to meditate on my back porch all day. And yet recognizing that ultimately I don't actually want her life. I want a much more beautiful and glamorous in the sense of like having stuff that isn't falling apart, that having stuff that is really nice, you know, and it was so hard because the magnet of that person as my expander was so strong that it was so hard for me to recognize that I actually wanted something bigger and greater than beyond that. Does that make sense, Anna? Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me a lot of that story of the guy who ran the first under five minute mile and the first year he did it, like no one did it. And then the following year, like 30 more people were able to, to break that barrier. It's because sometimes you have to see the thing you need and want to be able to get it yourself, you know? Right. And if you have somebody who's setting a pace that is actually not the pace you want is actually too slow right? It's not where you want to go, then you're not even going to realize that you're not at the right pace, if that makes sense, you know, to use that example, right? Yeah. So, so like if you had a pace car that was like trying to say, or, you know, like a person who, you know, only did a four and a half minute mile running next to you, like they're kind of a detractor. They're not, they're not the person you need. Does that make sense? I don't understand, but that's okay. My question is, um, are the distractors and expanders a term you came up with, or is this from something? So Lacey Phillips was the one who came up with the term expander and I came up with the, the, the term detractor. I see. I right. see. So Carol was your expander and then you outgrew her. So she became a detractor. I think that that's a really, yes, that's probably exactly what happened in that respect. Right. Is that at, when I had nothing and I was like living on food stamps and I like was living in a yurt and like had nothing 
And, you know, could, I didn't know I was psychic. I didn't know any of these things. She was totally an expander. Right. And then I expanded beyond her. And yet I couldn't get her out of my head as like every single time. Like I remember she used to do these courses and she would spend hours and I mean, days, weeks creating these courses. And, you know, she had like a 300 person email list and, you know, she'd get like two people to sign up for her courses after spending like, you know, 120 hours creating something, which, you know, we we've understood that in the past too, but like, you know, I can't help but think that that has always just been my view of courses or that's always, you know what I mean? That that has detracted from my own success because I only had her example as opposed to all the fake ones that you see on the internet. Like I, you know, you know, all of those things, like I sold a hundred thousand dollar course on my first day. Like, yes, those probably exist. I want to see the one that exists where you're not just trying to sell people more money, you know, but, but do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, you know, not only that, but also the, you know, the person who eventually became my, you know, dad's wife was also a detractor because they represented someone who felt that money was exceptionally important and it didn't matter kind of what, you know, the kind of consequences of that. So like, it's just, it's just a really interesting concept that it, an expander could be one of two, uh, excuse me, a detractor could be one of two things. It could be someone who was once an expander and then you didn't move on to a new person. So they actually held you and they, they held you back from growth, or they could be somebody who, you know, if you have a relative who, you know, you like, say you have like an uncle or an aunt and they had a ton of money, but they were absolutely shitty people. Right. And that's what you think of. Like when you think of, oh my gosh, I want to get a bunch of money, but I only have this one example of people who have money and they're assholes. That is another example of a detractor, like someone who was never an expander. They are just a person who is an example that's making it so that you don't want to move past this. Does that make sense? Okay. And then the last one is we're going to put the, this TikTok in the show notes, but this is about finding what universe you're in, what fractal universe you're in. Anna sent around this amazing TikTok, this amazing channeling. And I don't, it's funny because you sent it around and I was like, oh, I kind of know all this, but for some reason it triggered something in me to like, be like, oh my gosh, I want to like, I like understand this in a really great way. And I'm going to use it as a tool. And this tool, I think more so than anything is actually what allowed me to move out of my money wound was that in this TikTok, there's a woman called Marina Jacoby. This woman's channeling an alien race. And so it's, this guy's just like, okay, you know, I'm going to ask you some questions. And she's like, yeah, just ask me questions and I'll answer. The question was, are you from this universe or a different universe? And this is the answer that just like kind of help break something free for me, even if I kind of intellectually understood it. I feel like I kind of more viscerally understood it after hearing this, which she said that there are a lot of different fractal universes. So if you wanted to think of it as like, this is, this is my terminology, but imagine that there is light moving through a prism and the prism breaks everything up into the, the, the spectrum of the rainbow. And like, when you say is an alien from purple universe, right. As opposed to blue universe, he, she's basically conveying the fact that, you know, that 
there are most aliens are not necessarily from our quote unquote universe, right? They come from a different version of this fractal universe. They come from a different version of it in which you're only experiencing the filter of the color of something that is resonant in a different universe, right? So that's something very similar to, you know, I, I, I've always joked about this and now I can actually, I have somebody else channeling it to back it up is that I always used to joke that the reason that I never got abducted by aliens or like could see aliens was because I don't exist in the alien abduction universe, right? Like personally, I don't exist in the alien abduction universe. Like I know other people, like, and I've met other people who've been abducted by aliens, but that's just not an existence in my universe. Does that make sense, Anna? Yes, it does. It's very much so. <laughs> right. So that we're all kind of like sitting next to each other, but we're all kind of in different fractal universes, right? Depending on how we see the world, depending on how we experience the world, right? So it's confusing because it's like, but shouldn't Anna have the same experience as me or shouldn't, you know, so-and-so have the same experience as me? And, you know, I, I, you know, I did this with a client the other day is, you know, they were in a universe in which they were in the tragedy magnet universe, right. In which they were always a tragedy magnet and we just switched universes. It was just like, we're not going to be in that universe anymore. Like, we're just going to kind of move out of that fractal universe and kind of move into the separate one. I feel like that regarding pain. Like I tell them, I'm like, I don't belong to the, to the universe where I have chronic pain. I'm in the headache universe, but I'm not in the pain. Like when people complain about chronic pain, there's something in me that's like, that's their world. That's not my world. That's never going to be my world. Absolutely. Like I, I even push it away. Somehow I got on the headache universe and I've let my daughter give permission to herself to be on the headache universe too, because of it. Cause she'll say, I get headaches. Yes. Yes. And that's really interesting. You say that because I feel like my daughter gets a ton of headaches too. And I, but I've never been on the headache universe. And so sometimes people just, sometimes kids will go into universes on their own and sometimes they don't. And you can, and universes, it's a, some ways I feel like it's appropriate to say universe and not necessarily timeline, because I think that a, a universe contains a myriad of different timelines within it. And I feel like so few, like I'll use alien abductions as the example. Like, I feel like none of the, you know, none of the timelines in my universe have me being abducted by aliens. Like, it's just not a thing. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't exist. Right. Whereas if I was in the alien abduction, you know, all of the, all of the aliens in my universe are benevolent, right? They're not negative at all. Like there are no reptilians. There are no things like that, but I know that there is a universe in which the reptilians are you know, and that's why it gets so confusing. And we always are questioning everybody else because we're all coming from different universes and, and like talking together. And we don't, it's not like we wear labels. That's like, Hey, I'm from the, you know, everything always goes wrong for me universe. And this other person's like, Hey, I'm from the toxic positivity universe. You know what I mean? Like it's really hard to tell. And so when you experience tragedy around you, you can, you know, depending on how strongly you connect with it, it can pull you into that universe, right? It can pull you completely into that universe. And then in that universe, there's only duality and there's only, you know, pitting yourself against somebody who you love. And there's only like, you know, that it, it, there's, there's all of that going on. So, so that's what I mean by a different universe. And you guys, I encourage you to click the link in the show notes to be able to find out more about that. So these three things, Finding your wounding, which is helping you to gain awareness, locating your detractors, which again is like, it, it, it's going to give us a very tangible process that we can do 
to kind of address the money wound. And the last one is locating your universe. Okay. So this is how I healed it. And these are, this is, I'm still in the process of doing this and I will give another update on this process later. But the first thing is to locate your wounding and my wounding sits in the betrayal wound, right? So this is the, this is the practice that I channeled and this has actually been working really fucking well. And I'm just like, it's scary how well it's working. The mask of betrayal is control. So when it comes to money, I have completely relinquished control of my, of like where the money's coming from. Does that make sense? Like I'm still working on kind of like the overall experience of the lack of control. And I'm kind of, we're kind of trying to move between the two, my husband and I, with our, both our money woundings, we're like kind of trying to like recognize that, um, that we need to like kind of move who has the power over our money or who's tracking our money to somebody who's like a third neutral party so that neither of our money woundings come into it. Right. So that we can kind of relinquish control. We like know it's under control. We know our bills are getting paid. We know everything is happening in the way that it needs to. And so that's what I mean by that. Like it's like a desensitization process to always trying to control every single penny. And now I'm just like, I know it's going to happen. And the more I let go, the more the fucking money comes. It is insane. I cannot tell you how I've been doing this now for about six weeks. And I am just like, you know, it's still in its early days, but like the minute that I stopped trying to figure out exactly how the money was going to come in and the more I just expanded the channels it could come in, the more the money came. Okay. You said 7,500 in the last two days. 7,500 in the last two days? The 7,000 in the last two days. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So it's like, and that was, that, that was probably more of a trigger of changing the universe, but like, like that's, that's what I've been recognizing is that when you try to track every single movement of the universe, because you don't trust the universe, you don't allow magic to happen right? Like it, you can't, it's like everything becomes a particle. If you want to look at it from a quantum perspective, everything becomes a particle and nothing can be a probability wave. Like nothing magical can happen when you're trying to track every single penny. Does that make sense? Like there's good fiscal responsibility. And then there's also just like, for me, because my wounding, my money wound sat in the betrayal, my counteraction to that is to relinquish a bit of control. And so as Anna knows, I'm still working on that in some ways, but I'm trying to, like I said, get the money into a third party so that it doesn't become an, an issue between my husband and I, and like, we can work that out. So that is kind of what I've been doing to directly kind of counter my money wound sitting in my betrayal wound. And so I just wanted to give you guys just a little bit more info. What I mean by this is that like, if you know, like you can directly relate this back to Anna's archetypes right? So like the Scrooge is an example of someone who's exceptionally controlling with money, right? And I resonated with the Scrooge. So it kind of directly relates to the betrayal wound, right? So if you're someone who is constantly giving your money away and in, in an effort to, you know, rescue other people, you probably have an abandonment wound around your money wound, right? So the way to counteract that would be to recognize that like, you can give in other ways or recognizing that you are enabling other people to not actually have to deal with their own money wounding by trying to constantly throw money at them uh, as opposed to doing something else. Uh, another example of this would be, you know, um, 
the humiliation wound, if you, if that showed up for you, the humiliation wound would show up as if your money wound sat in that place is that you're often in a place where you are called out and openly humiliated for not having money. Or that is like, you're, you're recognizing that, that you're being openly humiliated, in which case then maybe you start taking power of your own humiliation and being like, Hey guys, guess what my bank account value is, you know, like just like not trying to hide it, not trying to be secretive about it. Um, going back up, you know, you have a rejection wound. Maybe you're just the type of person who doesn't like look at all at your bank account and you kind of just like reject the experience of money or you reject the experience of like tracking anything. You're just kind of very avoidant with the whole thing. Um, and then in which case, then you're doing the opposite of the betrayal wound. you're maybe actually trying to pay attention and really dig in and like recognize that you're rejecting opportunities to make money because you're actively rejecting life. And if it's the injustice wound, perhaps it's something along the lines of, you know, you feel it's so unfair that people who are rich, that people who are rich get all the money and you're working your ass off and you're not getting anything. It's so unfair, right? If that's kind of a feeling that you have around money, then it's like, what are, what are you doing to kind of allow the rigidity, allow money to come in and, you know, kind of mine kind of resonates as well with injustice, but, you know, this idea that like, it's not fair that I'm making this much money and, and kind of come to terms with that and go back and listen to Leanne Rose and the Galea Collective about uh, how are we addressing uh, the idea of people actually like knowing that it's actually really good for for people who have love in their heart to have money. Does that make sense, Anna? Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Uh-huh. Um, and- that's by no means exhaustive, but you know, that's, that's a, that's another way to look at this. If for some reason you feel stuck in any way. So the, the next thing is how do you replace a bad detractor? And this is a process of play that I do with my clients a lot. And this is something that I was taught by actually Deva Joy Gauss, who did the smearing yourself panel that we did earlier is what you do is you take an inanimate object around you and you enroll it as your detractor. So if you can find a detractor, if you can find somebody who like represents a rich person or represents a whatever person, and it's all you can think about whenever you think about getting rich and you're like, I don't want to become that person. So I can't become rich. Separate the person from the wealth, separate the money, the person from the money, right? So I'm enrolling my cup as Carol, right? And I'm saying, Carol, you are now my cup. And as my cup, I'm going to tell you that I recognize how hard you worked in your life for the money that you had and how much you stuck with a set of principles that you had. And I admire you for that, but you are no longer my expander. And I am going to now, you know, I'm going to unenroll you as my expander in life. I thank you for being an expander in my life for a portion of my life, but that is no longer what's necessary and thank you. And then you take the cup and you say, I unenroll you cup from being Carol. Incredibly simple process. Literally, I can feel it shifting in my body now. I wanted to do it on air, but it's just like, can you think of somebody, Anna? Can you like enroll an item? Yeah. Let's, yeah. Ask, let's do it. Okay. Let me be your guinea pig. Yes. Ask okay, me. Great. All right. So do you, who, when you think of like the person who doesn't have like, can I just say detractor? Or do you want me to kind of lead you to no, what no, a detractor no. looks like? Oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's pretend like I'm totally a shadow work virgin. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Okay. Okay. That's so seductive the way you said that. (laughs) Okay. So, so say that you, you were really like, like, who's a person, like when you think of somebody who like has all this money, right? Like that has a lot of money, who doesn't have any student loans and, you know, but there's also other things you don't like about them. Who do you think of? I know who I'm thinking of. Yeah. I won't say the name, mm-hmm. but it's one of the wealthiest people in our state. And this person has a very ugly, small, modest home. And it, and it's like, to me, just like baffling. That they're not using their money to get a big house or what? What do you mean? Can you explain? Um, this person is like one of the richest people in our state. Mm-hmm. I will probably ever have met in my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yet their home is ugly and their home doesn't have anything luxurious and there's no art. And right. Right. So in a lot of ways, are you saying that this okay. is like, a, this is a person that like you, you know, they have all this money and yet they don't actually enjoy nice things. That's it. It's a person who has a lot of money, but they don't enjoy nice things. And I feel like, yeah. And, and, and to me, it it's a waste. <laughs> it's a waste, right? It's a waste. So, so is there ever a time when you look at that person and you feel guilty for having enjoyed nice things? No, I, I don't enjoy, I don't feel guilty about enjoying nice things. I think that nice things should be enjoyed. <laughs> Right. Right. Okay. So, so for you, we're going to just enroll something on your desk. Can you look at something on your desk? Okay. Yeah. My cup. Okay. And I want you just to enroll and you don't have to say their name Enroll that cup as that person. Okay. All right. And then, and then you don't want them anywhere in your view of being wealthy. Well, I want his wealth. You want his wealth, but you don't want the other things that come with him, right? Like, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want the penny pinching. I don't. Yeah. You don't want want the scarcity. The penny pinching. And I don't want, yeah, I don't want the modest living. (laughs) Yeah. So then, so then you say, so separate the two. So with your cup in front of you, separate the two. Okay. 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 And you can say, do you want to say anything to this person? I want to say you, you can have a lot and still put aside some of it to enjoy. Yes. Right. Very good. Okay. So now you can unenroll your cup. Okay. You're unenrolled. All right. And so how does your body feel now that you've kind of separated having money with this idea of like penny pinching or like the fear that that's going to happen? It feels good. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. So that's a really simple thing that you can do. And in Anna's example, it's an example of like, she wants part of it, but she doesn't want the other part. And in my example, it's kind of the same thing. I used an example of someone who was once an expander and someone who I then moved past. Okay. And so then the third process is to change universes. And this is incredibly simple. Okay. So Anna, if you were to characterize your universe of money what, what do you think it would be? Mine is mine as of three or four days ago was the scarcity greed universe, right? I called it the scarcity greed universe because, because to me, when you live in a place of scarcity, that's when greed shows up. 
right? So I, at first I thought they were different universes and then I realized they were just two dualities that existed within the same universe. What one, and this could be related again to your archetype, to your money archetype. Mine is, it's not a problem if I don't look at it. Right. Universe. Right, right. So in some ways, like the the out of sight out of mind it'll somehow be okay if i like am not looking at it thing right and so which is really weird it it is yes but at the same time <laughs> maybe you've just like i don't know i i i'm always amazed when something doesn't fit the pattern you know what i mean like you would think yeah, that for you. Because I have my yeah. hand in everything in my life. Exactly. But I don't have my hand in this and I don't want my hand in this. Yeah. But then again, oh, okay. So I just had an insight about this. You remember okay. Ainsley McLeod and you were stuck to the bike shop? Yeah. Right. I feel like if if that was like a prominent past life for you because of money, you know, if you actively are not involved in the money, because maybe you don't trust yourself with money. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, maybe like, not that you don't trust that you're going to like spend it all, but you're, you're, you're afraid that if you get involved in the dealings of it, you're going to be stuck with it and you're going to be stuck with the negative impact of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, maybe so. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. I'm gonna try to put it towards like maybe if I don't commit to the debt, like the student debt or my responsibility, then I don't feel caged by it. Exactly. Which I was caged by it in the in Russian town life. or whatever, Polish town, wherever it was. Yes. Yes, exactly. So that's, that's what I mean is that like, in some ways there's an avoidance of it because the avoidance of it relinquishes your responsibility in some ways, right? It, it kind of makes it so that you aren't going to be caged or imprisoned by it. Like almost imagine it's like a, you know, it's like a magnet. And if you're, and if you get too close to the magnet, it's going to be impossible to pull yourself away. Okay. So what is the new universe that you want to end up in? Ooh, I want to end up in the responsible universe. The responsible and abundant universe, something along those lines, right? Like, yeah, responsible or free, and, and responsible and stable and free, Re and safe. The responsible okay. and safe universe, right? And safe is freedom. Okay, so who do you know that's sitting in the responsible and safe universe? Um, someone I know. I okay. won't say his name. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want you to close your eyes. Okay, and I want you to imagine reaching that that person is like reaching down from their universe and you're reaching up towards their universe. Okay. Okay. And I just uh -huh. want you to imagine now that they just like pull you up into that universe. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. is using her arms and she's like literally moving up into this universe. <laughs> All right. I'm here. Okay. And just like kind of close off the floor so that you can't fall back into that other universe. Okay. Okay. And like, thank the person for pulling you up into this universe. Okay. And, and then if you want, you can continue doing this. You can find someone who's even more safe and responsible. And you know what I mean? Like it, we don't, we won't do it right now, but like, yeah, I don't that, think that, I need to go any higher. No. And so, anytime soon, anytime soon. Right. And, and for me, I've been doing it over the last couple of days. I literally keep finding someone 
higher and better and like just really? uh, yeah and so I just keep ratcheting up within this like universe of um to me it's a universe of like abundance and I'm going to be taken care of right like it's like this this universe of like that that wealth comes in a very different form and and I just keep and and, and it's like somebody new will drop into my mind and I'll be like ah thank you it's like somebody new comes into my consciousness and wants to pull me farther and further up so I'm going to see how far I can go up whoa I wonder who's at the top (laughs) I know me too especially because for me it's really important that when they align in this universe they are fully aligning with this universe right it's it's kind of like the question that I asked Leanne was like but what about all the people who have a bunch of money and they seem miserable, you know, or she said, oh, but they are miserable. You know, like I am absolutely not looking for that as an expander. I'm absolutely not looking that as a, a person who's going to give me a hand up into their universe, right? Like I am looking for people who are, you know, whole embodied and happy and living their best lives and doing everything that they can. And they are also wealthy. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, thanks for this episode. Thank you. got you. me more to think about till Money Wound 5. Money Wound 5. It'll be good. So yeah. Thanks so much, y'all. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. Are you new to the podcast or have you been listening for a while and never left us a review? We would love to hear your reviews, your words, or your rating. It would help people to find us and we would really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.